reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined today by my co-host, Sean Diller. Sean, you ready to start this show? Is that big baby in the black truck in D.C. ready to crawl to the cops and uh, go straight to jail? Is he ready for that? (laughs) God, I hope so. (laughs) Let's start the show. COVID-19 booster shots starting next month. Top U.S. health officials announced a plan on Wednesday to begin offering COVID-19 booster shots to Americans starting September 20th, with the scheduling of the additional shot to be based on when a person was previously vaccinated. This only applies to those who received the two-dose Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. The more than 13 million Americans who received the one-dose shot from Johnson & Johnson may also need boosters, but that's currently unclear. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy told reporters that recent data makes clear that while the current COVID-19 vaccines have been highly effective against severe disease, hospitalization, and death, the protection against mild and moderate disease has appeared to decrease over time. Murthy said this is likely due to both waning immunity and the strength of the widespread Delta variant, adding that health officials are concerned that the decline in immunity could reduce protection against severe disease and death in the months ahead. The booster shots will be available at roughly 80,000 sites nationally, including 40,000 local pharmacies. As with the other COVID-19 shots, the boosters will be free of charge. While the booster plan does not specifically mention categories of individuals to receive a priority for boosters, the initial vaccine rollout did put certain groups first in line. So the first individuals to hit eight months after their second shot should be those in the earliest priority categories, such as healthcare workers and nursing home residents. I know that I'll line up for my booster shot just like I lined up for my first two. Yep. 21 Illinois schools lose state recognition for defying mask mandate. 21 school districts in Illinois have been put on probation for noncompliance with Governor J.B. Pritzker's mask mandate. On August 4th, Pritzker issued an executive order mandating masks be worn by students and staff regardless of vaccination status. The order followed updated guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention aimed at reducing the spread of contagious Delta variant, which causes COVID-19. Facing an outcry from parents and staff in their communities over the forced mask mandate, school districts across the state say they have consulted legal advisors about the liability and litigious hurdles they would face if they defy the governor's order. The Illinois State Board of Education Superintendent Dr. Carmen Ayala issued a warning to schools saying that, quote, the executive order has the force of law. I understand the pressure some schools and district leaders may be facing from community members, and I will provide you with every support to understand, communicate, and comply with the order. However, noncompliance is not an option. I will not compromise the health and safety of our students or staff, nor will I risk even one child's life. She goes on to say that a noncomplying district would first have its recognition status changed to on probation and would be asked to submit a corrective action plan. Failure to address the deficiencies would lead to non-recognition, meaning total loss of access to state funding and a loss of the school's ability to engage in any Illinois High School Association and Illinois Elementary School Association athletic competition. And not only that, a diploma from a school that is considered non-compliant would not be acknowledged by the state. So this is pretty strong language, Sean. I mean, this is almost the exact opposite of what we're seeing in Florida and even 
talking about taking away funding from schools that actually have mask mandates. Yeah, this is really crazy. This thing that we're going to now see, I guess, in a bunch of states where depending on where the governor's at, schools become this political football. I mean, this Illinois State Board of Ed Superintendent, Dr. Ayala, saying noncompliance is not an option. And these other policy responses are based on the fact that people don't want to see children die on their watch. You know, we're going to see an explosion. We saw case rates balloon in college towns in Illinois and Iowa, all over the country last time. And with the Delta variant, you know, we're going into this with our eyes wide open. And, you know, it might seem heavy handed, it might be heavy handed, but I think it's, you know, just reflects the moment. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's I I have to lean in favor of states like Illinois' response, which is I mean, just I, I need the people to get out of the way that are trying to stop the healing of this country. And it's crazy to me that you have one governor who enforces a mask mandate, thinking of the health, like following basic guidelines from the Centers of Disease Control. And meanwhile, you have other supposed equal leaders in other states who are talking about punishing schools for having mask mandates. I mean, it's just wild. Yeah. Here in Denver, they just came out with the rule, everybody two and up, staff, teachers, students, regardless of vaccination status, need to be wearing masks in schools. That's the rule here in Denver. Disabled Americans to have their student loans forgiven. On Thursday, the United States Education Department announced that it's discharging the outstanding student loans of more than 323,000 borrowers with significant permanent disabilities. And further, the department will continue to remove barriers for borrowers who qualify for this relief in the future. The announcement will erase some $5.8 billion in debt and marks a significant step toward fixing a troubled debt relief program meant to help borrowers with disabilities. Reporting from NPR over the past two years has shown that only a fraction of eligible borrowers have been getting the relief they're entitled to under the Federal Total and Permanent Disability Discharge Program, which dates back to 1965. In fact, many borrowers didn't know they were eligible at all. U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said that today's action removes major barrier that prevented far too many borrowers with disabilities from receiving the total and permanent disability discharges they are entitled to under the law. In Iowa, Republican leaders say we'd love to have them here. Iowa Republicans, Governor Kim Reynolds and U.S. Senator Joni Ernst said Iowa would welcome refugees from Afghanistan who wanted to resettle. In comments made at the Iowa State Fair on Wednesday, Senator Ernst said, quote, we are pushing, pushing, pushing to get as many Afghans out of Afghanistan as we can and we'd love to have them here in Iowa. Ernst said she's working with Senator Gene Shaheen, a New Hampshire Democrat, to push the U.S. Department of State to allow as many people as possible to qualify for the Special Immigrant Visa Program. It is designed to get people who work with the U.S. military as interpreters or translators in Iraq or Afghanistan. The U.S. Bureau of Refugee Services has said Iowa could take as many as 2,000 refugees a year, and Reynolds doesn't disagree with that number. We want to be a partner. We want them here, and we want them to know that we'll work through these processes, but definitely we can handle that. Iowa's only Democrat in Congress, 3rd District Rep. Cindy Axney, spoke to KCCI about the Afghanistan crisis while she visited the state fair Tuesday saying, quote, I think we'd all like to see things differently in Afghanistan. I'm certainly all in support of making sure that we protect Americans and pull our troops out of there. And that's what I think the president is really focused on. Well, this is really interesting. You know, this Afghanistan issue is unfolding right in front of our eyes. And what I'm seeing right here is that 
Republican Senator Ernst, who's known in some quarters as even a, somewhat of a hardline conservative, is saying we want to allow as many people as possible to qualify for the special immigrant visa program and bring Afghan residents and Afghan nationals and citizens who help the U.S. as interpreters in the war effort. We need to bring those people into Iowa. And Cindy Axney, the Democrat, is saying we need to get all the Americans out. And that's what Biden is saying as well. She's saying that's what I think the president's really focused on. She's right. That's what I've seen in comments that Biden has committed to saying we'll get all the American citizens out safely and has not responded to the questions about the folks Ernst's talking about. What popped into my head is this is what America first looks like for, for better or worse. And it's cold. And, you know, I think Biden made the calculation that he has the political courage to end the wars, which is what everybody wants. That's what polling shows. And, you know, if he has to take some lumps, he seems to be prepared for that. But he has had some defensive responses, you know, this idea that the Afghans didn't stand up. You know, there were over 60,000 Afghan soldiers who died while we were there trying to keep their country from the Taliban. And this really basic idea, you know, I just something I think about, you know, for folks who helped the American armed forces in Afghanistan and they did it risking their lives and they did it because partly the Americans were promising to protect them, you know, to then leave without a plan for how to keep them safe. It really is a betrayal. And, um, you know, it's not, these aren't all easy, you know, it's not yay Biden or bad Biden or yay Liz Cheney or anything. I don't know. It's just in, I do know that I saw this on the PBS news hour and sorry to ramble, but when we left South Vietnam, we evacuated 130,000 Vietnamese who had helped the armed forces throughout the war effort. Yeah. It's a, and it's like you say, like none of this is easy. And I, I don't even pretend to have any sort of in-depth knowledge on the Afghan war or anything like that. I, I probably only have a slightly better knowledge of everything that's gone on than the average person on the street. But it's like you, you look at every president, every administration that's been part of this. I mean, Bush got us in. Obama drone striked the region forever. Donald Trump made deals with the Taliban. And then Biden, you know, is putting America first and pulling us out. I mean, the whole thing that you can't lay all the failures of the Afghanistan war on one president's feet, which is what they're trying to do right now. Yeah. And I think he's showing some metal by signaling that he's fine to take the lumps on this because he also does know yeah. that it's the politically popular stance. And I think, it, you know, we've been, we've needed to get out of this war for a long time. And he's taking the lumps, as you say, to say, to move on and be like, this is done. You know, we're done with this. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are part of a larger family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week where host Adam Summer interviews folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, scientist, you name it. Included in that show is the Talking Politics section, where our panel of experts dig deep into the nuts and bolts of what you're hearing out there. On Wednesdays, you can get one or even two shows between the Marquise Govan Show, focusing namely on St. Louis, and The Delta, a show dedicated to clearing up some of the science being muddied in the news and social media by our own resident science teacher, Nicholas Linky. And now, The Lightning. Lightning.
around. In Arkansas, students returned to troubling COVID numbers. As of this Monday, Arkansas Public Schools reported 1,347 active COVID cases of students and faculty. Data released by the Arkansas Department of Health says cases in Bentonville, Arkansas doubled in two days from 52 to 99 active cases, making up around 1% of students and faculty within the district. Health department leaders project that there will be a difference in cases between schools that have a mask mandate and the ones that do not. Dr. Joel Tomlinson, an outbreak response specialist, says that you would expect that places where everyone's wearing masks would have less spread than the ones who do not have very many people wearing masks. And he also says that there has been an increase in vaccination rates among students ages 12 and 8 through 18 in the past two weeks and hopes that that will help keep the numbers down. Tomlinson goes on to say that in a previous two-week period, something like 25% of all vaccinations given were to kids between the ages of 12 and 18. The ADH data shows that 39.5% of kids ages 12 to 18 in the state have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. Florida doctors slam DeSantis. More than 800 Florida doctors have criticized GOP Governor Ron DeSantis, calling his recent response to the state's surging COVID infections reckless and urging him to end his opposition to local mask mandates and protect Florida's children. The United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has advised schools to require all students, teachers, and staff to wear masks as classes resume this fall, given the surge in new infections driven by the Delta variant. The open letter signed by more than 800 physicians in Florida, says, quote, as the virus burns through Florida, health care providers feel we are fighting this fire without any leadership from Governor Ron DeSantis, blocking communities from making local decisions to protect themselves with his top-down, one-size-fits-all edict will only make matters worse. As the spread of COVID-19 accelerates in Kentucky, a Republican lawmaker has introduced a bill that would bar businesses from mandating coronavirus vaccinations for employees or even asking about an employee's vaccination status. The bill, pre-filed Wednesday by Representative Lynn Belcher, Republican, would make it unlawful for an employer to limit, segregate, or classify employees in any way or deprive them a job just because a person declines immunization or refuses to disclose his or her immunization status. Missouri legislator going on trial in two alleged fraud schemes. The trial against Republican State Representative Trisha Durgis began this week. As a reminder, Durgis, who ran an uncontested campaign in her district, has been charged with 23 felony counts in two separate alleged fraud schemes. Last March, a federal grand jury indictment alleges Durgis fraudulently received about $300,000 in federal coronavirus aid for her nonprofit medical and dental clinic. The U.S. Attorney's Office says the Springfield organization called Lift Up did not provide COVID-19 testing to its patients, but her medical clinics did. Durgis is accused of concealing the reimbursements her clinics had already received for those services. Charges from last February allege that Durgis sold fake stem cell treatments at medical clinics she operates in Springfield, Branson, and Ozark, a scheme totaling about $200,000. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Durgis was actually giving a sterile amniotic fluid to patients who suffered from, among other things, tissue damage, kidney disease, COPD, Lyme disease, erectile dysfunction, and urinary incontinence. She's accused of scheming victims from 2018 to 2020, illegally prescribing narcotics, and lying to federal agents. In February, House Speaker Rob Vescovo kicked Durgis out of the Republican caucus and removed her from all committees she was assigned to. Her office was relocated to a broom closet in the Missouri Capitol. <laughs> 
but she's still in office, I guess. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, her website acts like she's in. Oh, right. Okay. Representative Durgis is still in office and has recently sponsored a bill that would allow an assistant physician to be eligible to become a licensed general practitioner if the assistant physician has completed step three of the medical licensing examination <laughs> and 60 months of postgraduate hands-on full-time active collaborative practice. Would that include her? Is this a bill to help her do more than she does I, now to sell and scam people through her clinic? She seems, she seems pretty stand up. I, I, I don't think that she would try to pull one over on the Missouri people. <laughs> Look at this. Once an assistant physician completes these requirements, the board must issue the assistant physician a license to practice as a physician, which would be oh, a full license subject to all statutes and regulations pertaining to physicians. That's her fucking bill. Wow. That's the only one she's filed. And this is the lady who's facing FBI 23 felony counts for selling amniotic fluid and saying that they're stem cell treatments. Well, well, that's all the time we have, folks. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you feel we have a story that you should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet us at the Heartland Pod and visit us for our links to all our shows and our merchandise shop at heartlandpod.com. Flyover View is a production of Midmap Media LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from the Kansas Reflector, WTBO Rockford, Illinois, NPR, Associated Press, KTHV Little Rock. Newsweek, the Lexington Herald Leader, and Missouri Net. Remember to subscribe so you get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us. See you next week, same time, same place. This week's Fly Overview, and thanks for choosing Heartland Strong. We'll see y'all next week.